one for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 695 of Locked On Raptors for early on a Friday morning, April the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams. We've got all the baseball, hockey, college coverage you could want as well. Most of those teams that you care about covered over there. And uh, we're still going strong, even with no sports. People are being super creative. Next week across the network, we're going to be diving in to the best seasons in franchise history for all of the teams across the Big Four plus college. And that should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot about the championship season next season, next week as well. I'm going to actually do those audiobook readings I've been promising. So don't worry, those are coming probably uh, early next week and probably like four installments of them so get excited um and uh yeah other than that it's uh subscribe rate review all that good stuff that we always ask you to do it's much appreciated when you do that before we introduce our guest today and get into today's topic we are going to talk about my bookie sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitchers off the mound but our friends at my bookie are not going to let that get you down stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack roulette slots war and more doesn't matter whether you're on the front lines or a quarantine at home, the fun does not have to come to an end with my bookie. Video poker, not your thing, but you still need to fix. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their tables live on site 24-7. Your favorite squad sideline, but because of the pandemic, don't even sweat it because my bookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court on NBA 2K. Plus, if you care about politics as well, you can bet on the shifting odds on political bets too. You can trust the industry leaders at times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. When you win visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, uh, let's get into today's show now. Let's introduce today's guest to talk about the final of the greatest Raptors regular season's performances of all time, the Gersboat, as they're calling it. Uh, this is, of course, at Raptors.com, my my work that I've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Joining me to talk about the final matchup between DeMar DeRozan's 52-point game and Kyle Lowry's comeback win over the Dallas Mavericks, pretty much a solo comeback earlier this season, is our pal who was here a couple weeks ago for the round of 32. It is James Herbert. James, what's up, man? I'm glad to be back to finish what we started. I'm glad you're back as well. I, I could I could have gone with more famous people like Jack Armstrong uh, or, you know, yeah, probably Jack rules. But uh, you also are pretty all right, James. And uh, I, I thought there'd be some poetry here to wrap up and talk about the, the tournament that we started out talking about a couple weeks ago. Um, before we get into the contenders and their cases to actually go home with the title and before we make our picks, uh, are you pleased, displeased, surprised, shocked, uh, appalled, not not at all, any of those things above uh, at the final matchup between DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry? I'm surprised and I'm not. So, yeah, I get like, you know, 
it's it was not my pick. I had Vince versus Vince, uh, but it, it makes sense to me. It's it, you know it, it's cute. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I think your your Vince related biases are on display there with your prediction. Uh, I, I I didn't expect both sides of the bracket to be won by Vince. I thought maybe the the fifty one point game would get there. Uh, I want to be but... clear. That wasn't my prediction. Those were just my <laughs> picks. I, I made my picks the whole way through. I didn't predict Keon Clark was going to get to one final. And then, oh, what, what the hell was the other one? It was another, like, 15 seed, whatever that was. Damon. It was Damon. Yeah, Damon against the Bulls. So the, the, those were, when I was making those those uh, brackets up, I that was not what I thought the public would do. That was just my <laughs> own weird thing. Yeah. Um, hey, like, I, I thought Vince probably deserved a better shake. He had none in the Final Four. He only had one in the Elite Eight, and that was because I uh, enforced emergency powers to do so. <laughs> um, but... Look, man, the people like the recency bias a little bit, and they like the guys who they like. And Demar is obviously beloved, and Kyle has all of the the cachet of, of of the recency, and also the very good games. And then Kawhi made it to the Final Four egregiously over Terrence Ross's fifty one point game, but whatever, it's fine. I'm not mad. I'm laughing. It's cool. Um, but like, it's it's understandable considering it just happened, and he's still beloved. And they're currently re airing all of the games in which he beat the piss out of opposing teams in the playoffs. So it's fresh in people's minds, I suppose. Um, let's get into the actual matchup. So Demar's fifty two point game against the Milwaukee Bucks against Kyle's thirty two eight and ten against the Dallas Mavericks earlier earlier this season, which of course ended in a thirty point comeback and a one ten one oh seven win when they were down thirty with fourteen minutes to play. Um, let's size up the matchup here, James. From the Demar side of things, it's the numbers case, it's the efficiency, it's the peak of his playmaking powers in a season in which he kind of embraced that also sort of the peak of his modernity in a season in which he finally shot threes and then it kind of never was that way ever again for him and it kind of went downhill um and obviously the playmaking stuff still exists today when he's with the spurs but the the three-point shooting is pretty much non-existent on the other side you have kyle doing an extremely kyle thing how do you size up the matchup here it's interesting i think both are reflective of not only who the player was at the time, but who they have been and their kind of story. In DeMar's case, this is kind of the peak of his best year. And in a lot of ways, like when I watch DeMar now, I'm wowed at um, his ability to dominate a game inside the three-point line. Uh, But I still wish he were shooting the threes. Like that was my favorite version of DeMar. Back then, I mean, this year he was incredible, particularly after uh, LaMarcus Aldridge actually decided to shoot threes. Uh, DeMar had more room to kind of do the, you know, the same thing like Westbrook did when uh, they stopped playing, when they stopped playing and then traded Clint Capella. The same thing how Giannis went to a whole other level uh, when they were playing for shooters around him. Like this version of DeMar we have in San Antonio is still very good and an advanced offensive player and in some ways better you alluded to the playmaking getting better but like that guy that was shooting threes like that's what i always wanted to see that's what i would still like him to go back to and that was a game where he was feeling it he was doing his kobe impression and it looked kind of like kobe like he was making everything and there was a lot of that that season he started the year on a ridiculous tear um and then this was a game where he was the only one kind of doing anything and he basically willed the team and it it was unbelievable and you go back and watch the highlights and it's more impressive on an individual level than than the Lowry one I think he's going to be the favorite in this matchup but then I think on the Lowry side like 
it's kind of like the you cram the arc of Lowry's Raptors career from when he got there to them winning the title last year into one quarter, and that that's what that was. Like they had no business winning that game. Uh, nobody would have given them a shot at the point where the comeback started. And he just kind of did everything. He was a maniac. He was all over the place. It was pressure defense. It was forcing turnovers. It was making big shots. He did a lot of it with the bench. And like that that whole deal of like Kyle on the bench has been a persistent storyline over the entire time that he's been with the Raptors. And that's part of what makes him so special. So I, I think Lowry's was not a typical superstar performance uh, by any means, but it was like very much him. Yeah, totally. I I think, I mean, the arguments for both are good. (laughs) I I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer here. It just kind of comes down to whether or not, like, you're wowed by the the sheer numbers of DeMar's game. And look, it's not like it was, like, against a very bad team or anything like that. It was against a very good Bucks team, or at least an ascendant Bucks team that was that had Giannis and Chris Middleton and all that stuff. And there was some baked in sort of like DeRozan Middleton tension. Thank you, Ben Golliver, uh, <laughs> going into that game. Maybe for like the fans and not so much for the players themselves. Although Demar, uh, I think, noted his aggrievement at the SI Top 100, and so maybe that was part of it. But it, it was, you know, it's just like a very ridiculous. Stat line, 52-5-8 with 17-29 to 29 shooting and 5-9 of nine from 3 and 13-13 from the line. It's just like, it's eye-popping, right? And The days so when he just, would take nine threes. Oh my god, the day he would take nine threes. I don't think it was days. <laughs> I was at that game in Philly. That, that game in Philly uh, that year was, I think, the best I ever saw him play in person. And yeah. that was like, that, that was either the first or the second of like the start of him taking threes like it was one of the it was an Mm -hmm. early game and i did i was just like what am i looking at that entire season working the culture reset year depended on damar like fitting in everyone knew kyle could do it he could fit in anywhere but damar had to embrace shooting threes he had to embrace playmaking if he was gonna have the ball in his hands a bunch and he did and that game was sort of the apex of that sort of trajectory that he was on and it's you know it's a bummer that he never really kept it up and the threes tailed off from there not only in percentage but also attempts um but, but like this that singular game was sort of the reason why it all worked that year and the reason they won 59 games is because Demar bought into that level and played at that level and it, it was you know it, it was a remarkable game man I, I, you can't diminish it at all the Kyle game is where you sort of get into more sort of the the feelingsy side of things and the intangibles and stuff like that, where like his numbers are way less impressive. His shooting line is way less, uh, you know, astounding. He doesn't even have steals or blocks in this game. He's got zeros in both of those columns. And, you know, th- so maybe if you're looking at the numbers, you're just going to say, oh, it's obviously DeMar. But with Kyle, it, it like that game is so Kyle and it's just so... Like it just it's a microcosm of his entire sort of ethos as a player. And it how many games did he have like that over his career? I I wrote in the piece like it's a vote for every single Kyle game like that. It's not just a vote for that game because, you know, there are three Kyle games in the tournament. And while I think the 43 point game against the Cavs was the better game and should have been in the final, like I can't really be upset about a different Kyle game where he takes over and is amazing and is the reason why the Raptors win getting in there as well. And just the improbability of coming back from down 30 and the way you could sense the change in tone in the arena when Kyle really decided, like, okay, 
now is my turn to take it over and I'm going to go punk some asses. Like, it, it just, it felt inevitable at a certain point that Kyle was going to lead them back in that game, which is ridiculous because they were down 30 with 14 minutes to play. And so it's ridiculous. It's and like, it was with Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Chris Boucher, and Malcolm Miller for most of the fourth quarter. And while I think, Kyle might have had other games that were individually better overall, like numbers-wise, and that Cavs game, you know, the, the stakes of it and all when they were in the race for that one seed. I don't know if Kyle's ever played a more maniacal, more Kyle fourth quarter or quarter than that fourth quarter against the Mavs, where he scored 20 points and just, like, completely dominated every inch of the floor from, like, running the press to... Uh, you know, setting up Chris Boucher for 21 points somehow and, you know, being in on that a lot and he had 10 assists in the game. Like, it was just an all-encompassing game that just had so much more of the intangible stuff that does not come down in the box score that sort of prop it up. And and so, like, throughout the entire tournament, I think I was looking at that game maybe as not really a serious contender to win at all because I thought there were better Kyle games. I thought, oh, it's a 14 seed. Like, the numbers aren't good enough to match up to a Terrence Ross or a Vince Carter 51 game or, or anything like that. But when you sort of factor in all the stuff that doesn't show up on paper, it is it is just like a perfect Kyle game. And I think I've talked myself more into it being worthy of being in the final as the tournament's gone along, just sort of going back and rewatching it and thinking about the improbability of it all. And, you know, I, I, and like Jack Armstrong picked it to win in the, in the bracket. And, and so I guess that leads me to ask you, who do you think wins? I, th- I feel like we're kind of both leaning Kyle on the way we've talked, but uh, how are you going and how are you deciding who wins and is the greatest performance in Raptors history? I feel bad about it because Demar's performance was amazing. But yeah, I'm leaning <laughs> Kyle. I, I think the Lowry game, it, it was genuinely historic. It was one of the craziest comebacks in NBA history. And, you know, I wrote about the Raptors defense this year and like I got into that piece by talking about that game and how they just made the Mavs so uncomfortable. Like you can't come back from down 30 just by getting buckets. Like you have to be getting the stops too. you have to dominate the entire game. And Lowry doesn't dominate like Kobe. He doesn't dominate like DeMar dominated in that game. It's not just like, oh my God, like we have to send three guys on him and hope he doesn't still get the shot off. Like that's not how he plays. But he took over that game on both ends and he drove that that whole comeback. Uh, even though, yes, he needed Chris Boucher to have a big game too. Uh, he needed the other guys to make defensive plays and to finish and, and all of that. But he made big shots. He got big stops. He set the tone for the entire thing. He was like when Kyle is at his best, like and, you know, honestly, even when Kyle is not like even when the shots aren't falling, he's not in rhythm. Like what makes him him is that he is just roving around the court, completely aware of where he is, where everybody else is in relation to him at all times. And is just trying to just take any little edge he can get and just try to do the little things that give his team an opportunity to win that possession. And they had to win virtually every possession to win that game. And he, <laughs> and he was doing that the entire time. And he, he was just so locked in. And it doesn't feel great to go against that DeMar game because from a statistical perspective, it's obvious which one was better. And that was like the apex game of his apex season. DeRozan was nuts that year. And I think some people outside of Toronto have probably forgotten how good he was that year because the story was how much better they got after he left, right? Like they won the title. Yeah. <laughs> but but he was legitimately great. And 
when he was feeling it, it was really hard for anybody to do anything about it. And that, that, that was the best example. So if you want to pick DeMar, which I don't think you're going to do, but if anybody else wants to pick DeMar, that's great. That he, it was an awesome game. It is deserving, but it, like I said, it's kind of a philosophical thing. And like that, win the Raptors had against the Mavericks and what Kyle did there is just like, to me, that is more impressive. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, to the point of DeMar, I mean, he had to play well enough that season to be a, a big enough asset in the Spurs' eyes to be traded for Kawhi Leonard. And, he, like, he did that. And that game is the encapsulation of what he did that season to sort of change his game around and become a much more attractive sort of, like, star-level talent that the Spurs clearly wanted in exchange for Kawhi. And, I mean... It's funny because the season before, I think maybe is sort of viewed as DeMar's best season because he averaged like a bazillion points a game and had that crazy run where I think he scored 30 points in the first nine games of the season to tie a Michael Jordan record. And he had that crazy run when Kyle was hurt too, where he was carrying the team offensively. But I, I, I think the following season, 2017-18, is just like the objectively better season from him because of the efficiency, because of the threes, because of the playmaking. And again, like that game is the high watermark of his high watermark season. So again, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I don't think you're wrong if you pick Tamar. I just think you're more right if you pick Kyle. <laughs> I just think like that, that game is, it is Kyle Lowry in 12, in, in 14 minutes and I think that fourth quarter is just something that I think, I mean, it was like, it was around the holidays. You're watching with family. You're watching family just like kind of like fall apart at the, in in like awe of what Kyle's doing. The fact that he did it with the entire starting five that he started the game with not getting any run because they were playing like shit the entire night and they were just like, all right, let's throw this at the wall. And and again, for there to have a an element of Kyle plus the bench mob and like the rag taggiest bench mob you could possibly ask for in addition, like I think that adds to it as well. It's just it's a perfect Kyle game, man. And I think it uh it rightfully somehow is going to pull out the... I'm not really sure how to predict how it's going to go in the voting. People have been really voting for this Kyle game, though. It just beat the piss out of every single game it's come across, including the last Kyle game in the semifinal. But it's... uh it's interesting, man. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how the voting's going to go. I think Kyle deserves to win just based on what that game represents, even with the recency bias of it all. I'm coming around to maybe telling myself that I was too wary of the recency bias when I was sort of picking against it in earlier rounds. And maybe like just, just because it happened four months ago, doesn't mean it wasn't fucking awesome. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I think that's probably an okay place to leave it. We're both picking Kyle to win the tournament. And I guess we can come back in 25 years and do the next 25 years of franchise history, best performances. If there is basketball or a world in 25, 25 years, but James, either way, if this is the last time we speak to you before the end uh, end of days, it was it was really great having you on, man. <laughs> it's got really dark all of a sudden. Oh my! It surely did. Yeah, no, it's been a. I'm in a roller coaster kind of mood. I think everybody is nowadays. It's uh, we're all a little edgy. It's I up and it. down. Just, yeah. just, let's just all go back and watch Keon Clark highlights together. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I will maintain the biggest uh, outside of Terry. The biggest uh, disappointment in voting in the tournament that was not overturned by my emergency powers was Keon Clark losing to Chris Bosch's random-ass 40-point game. Unbelievable. I had Clark yeah. in the finals of his region against Vince Carter, so that, that tells you where <laughs> I was at when I filled out the, the entire bracket in one shot. 
Glad to see uh, Eric Kareen is uh, sharing some research. It looks like he's about to write a Keon Clark piece, which I will read the hell out of because Keon Clark really? is uh, a, a very sad and tragic story. But man, that guy was awesome. And uh, I look forward to reading that from Eric. Yeah, hell way, yes. Any, yeah. any Keon Clark writing is good. Any, any Eric writing is good, I should say. I'm still mad at him for his... Uh, his his comments to me when I put Hunter Johnson behind Danielle Marshall on the all time Raptors list, he was right. But <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, I didn't know you. I, wow, why did you put him behind Danielle? I think I was swayed by the twelve three game and just like the fact that Danielle led the team in win shares one season, which he did. Don't forget that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think I was wrong. That. Yeah, <laughs> Eric was right. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Eric, I, I mean, I changed it in the, in the update 2.0, so. Okay, good. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for today's show. James, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hope you're doing well. Hope all is, uh, well down there in Brooklyn. And, uh, anything you want to promote right now? Uh, I should have, I don't know if it's published. I should have a massive free agency preview, uh, on the site. I'm writing about basketball again. It's weird. I, I don't, I don't know how much people care about looking forward to the off season right now it's it's hard to gauge any of this it's it's a strange time but uh but i did that and uh yeah all is well i, I shouldn't say all is well in brooklyn all is definitely not well in brooklyn but all is yeah. well specifically for me in brooklyn i am fine <laughs> so yeah well that's good to hear uh hopefully things get better in the world at large around where you live and uh yeah just hang in there buddy it's nice to talk to you and uh stay you safe and all that good stuff uh, everyone, please subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's much appreciated. Next week, uh, we're going to dive all into the, uh, you know, the the season that was last year. We're going to do audiobook readings from We the Champs. I think we're going to try to do like a trivia episode based on the championship season as well. So keep an eye out for that probably like next Friday. Uh, now that I'm not with Raptors.com, I have so much more time to uh, waste to, to coming up with just insane, dumb podcast concepts. So uh, brace yourself for some insane, dumb podcast concepts, and uh, we'll talk about that another time. And that's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow or Monday, whatever the fuck it is. I don't even know what day it is, with another episode of Locked on Raptors. <laughs>